Welcome to the Anderson Business Advisors Podcast, the nationally recognized preferred provider for asset protection and tax planning in the nation. This show is for investors and business owners looking to save on taxes and build long-term wealth with Toby Mathis, an attorney, author, business owner, and a featured instructor at Anderson's Tax and Asset Protection event held throughout the country. Enjoy the show. All right. Hopefully you guys are out there and alive and kicking this uh, two days before Turkey Day. And welcome to Tax Tuesday. My name is Toby Mathis. And I'm Jeff Webb. And uh, you've come to the right place if you want to have uh, dry humor and tax. This is it. You're here to experience it. So let's just jump right on in. We have a lot to go over. We always shoot for an hour. We almost hit it once. Tax Tuesday rules. If you ask live and the question and answer. So in Zoom, you're going to see that there's a chat feature where you can just say anything you feel like. So like right now, if you're out there in chat, you'll see Patty says, welcome, everyone. Go in there and just let me know what city and state you're in. We'd love to see where everybody's at. And then uh, the question and answer is where you can type in specific questions for you that you want us to answer. So let's see. Oh, we got. Oh, shoot. Now they're rolling in. <laughs> they always do that. New York, Quincy, Quero, Richardson, Texas, Charlotte, North Carolina. We see some Hawaii, Lawrenceville, Georgia, Milwaukee. Gosh, bless it. Chico, California. They're flying through. Hey, somebody's in Gig Harbor. So you're up there by, uh, by Clint. There's Polar Bluff, Missouri. There's another Hawaii. Somebody loves your dry humor. They told me to be quiet. Uh, Randallstown, Maryland, Tomahawk, Wisconsin, San Jose, Minnesota, Houston, San Diego, Falls Church. Know that well. Head of the mm-hmm. headquarters of American Red Cross. Uh, San Diego, Houston, Arizona. we got people from all over the place. So welcome. You guys are in the right place for some tax stuff. We love the tax stuff. We love seeing what's going on in the tax world. Obviously, there's uh, no greater time than right now because we have a lot going on. Uh, let's just jump right on in to the questions after this one thing is you could always send in your question. If you're not going to put it in the question and answer, you can absolutely send it in at Tax Tuesday at Anderson Advisors. We also have folks on right now uh, that are here to help you. So we have, oops, where's my little participants? I know I have Elliot. Let's just take a peek. We have Ander. He's not going to answer questions. He's he's doing the technology. Thank goodness we have the tech people. Elliot, Ian. Oh, we've got Elliot, who's attorney, Ian, CPA. Uh, Matthew, who's doing some tech. Patty, who will answer anything you ask her. Pio's even on. My gosh, I thought these guys were all going to be chilling out, but Sounds like they all got on, Tricia. So you have a army of tax professionals there to answer your questions. And since it's a holiday week, I don't expect that we're going to have a gajillion people on. So if you have tax questions, today is the day. This is the best day to be doing it. So you're really lucky. And we're really glad to have on all those tax pros. My goodness. Somebody says, Albuquerque, what'd they say? Uh, Quito, Ecuador. Nice. Guys, we've got people everywhere. So uh, we'll get that anyway. There's some fun stuff always going on in chat, which we will not always repeat. All right. So let's go over some of this. Roth account. And by the way, somebody was yelling at me about the editing and saying, you guys can't write questions, right? It's not us. We literally take your questions. Sometimes we fix a misspelling, but we don't really mess around with it much. Uh, So Roth account, not 59 and a half yet. I know I could withdraw my contribution conversion amounts without paying taxes, but will I be penalized? 
Uh, good question. We received unexpectedly large proceeds from the sale of shares dividends earlier this year, over $100,000. Some of it we've already invested. Looking to reduce tax liabilities on this and think of investing into a syndication deals of $50,000 or so before year end. What kind of depreciation can we expect? Any other real estate investing strategies you might suggest as far as tax reduction goes? We already purchased one short-term rental property mid-2021. So good, good questions thus far. And uh, we'll answer those. Let's keep going. Wholesaling. Uh, should that be an LLC by itself, one per LLC or one LLC per deal or just use the same one? We'll get through that. Mm-hmm. I think about delivering packages for delivery service. Uh, should I buy or lease a vehicle? My current car is paid off. Should my earnings fall under the protection of an LLC and EIN, which is the employer identification number? So we'll get into all that. If I have purchased a course or educational support not in my LLC's name, can I still deduct it from my business? We'll go over that. And wh- how best to purchase a vacation rental property from a parent and avoid paying high capital gains taxes as the property has appreciated significantly from my parent, uh, from when the parent purchased it? We have good questions today. If I use a self-directed IRA money to remodel a property, is that deductible? And uh, what else we got? Oh, we still got some more. How many rental properties do I need to own and manage to meet the criteria as active participation? Somebody's been listening. That's awesome. And that's apply real estate losses to active W-2 income. I run a, a short-term rental, STR to stands for short-term rental, in my home. How do I set up my STR to take advantage of home expenses. So we'll answer that one. And then uh, my LLC has marked a market trader status and will have substantial loss this year. We want to take an IRA or 401k distribution to pay off our house and take advantage of the LLC loss to offset the distribution tax. Any pitfalls to this? So already really great questions. Yep. You ready to dive in? Let's dive. Do you have any favorites by the way? I do. Okay. Is this one of your favorites? Uh, this was softball, so I kind of liked it. Okay. You can answer this one. Roth account. I'm not 59 and a half yet, which you'll have to explain why that's relevant. I know I can withdraw my contribution conversion amount without paying taxes, but will it be penalized? Let's say you, Jeff. I'll answer the question first. If you take, if you withdraw your contributions from a Roth IRA, there is never taxes or penalties. If you take out gains or in income out of that Roth earnings, you, right? Earnings. Mm-hmm. I couldn't figure out the word. And you are under 59 and a half and have held this account for less than five years. Am mm-hmm. I saying this correctly? Mm-hmm. You're going to be subject to penalties. Five and, years and you have to be over 59 and a half. So you would be subject to tax. Well, no, you wouldn't still wouldn't be subject to tax on the gain as long as you've held it for the five years. Five years, you get taxed. Even when you're under, you have to hold it for the five years because you never paid tax on that. Okay. Game. So you have to be 59 and a half, unless there's like a few exceptions. Yeah. Um, I think you can do the substantial, substantially equal payments, which means you started collecting retirement out of it. And it has to be a regular amount, like you're 300 thinking, a month. You're or, thinking of 72T? Would that work yeah, on a Roth? I think so. I don't know. I did look at that. I don't. I, I honestly don't know if 72T applies to Roth. Any accountants out there that are willing to, to jump into chat, I do not believe that a 72T, I know that if you do equal- So you don't think substantially equal is one of the choices? Because it's it's taxable amounts that they're receiving. 
And so they're going to pay tax over a period of time with the Roth. They're never going to pay tax so long as they meet the exception. So you always get your contribution back. So I put $6,000 in a Roth and I don't make it to the five-year period and I'm not 59 and a half or either or, right? I need to have both if I'm yep. going to, if I'm not going to pay anything on it, I could always take out my $6,000. So I can put out the, the money that I put in, but let's say it grows to 10,000. So there's $4,000 of growth. You would have to either be a first time home buyer. You'd have to have substantial medical expenses or some other need in order to get that money out without meeting the five and 59 and a half year test. I'm not, a, I'm not sure if there's another way around it. And if you take it out early, you're going to get penalized and you're going to be taxed on the uh, on the gain because otherwise, what's the point, right? They're going to say, nope, it's all taxable now. See if anybody's out there that's in there. Nope. Where's our accountants today? Usually we get we get rescued by one or two of you guys. They took the week off. Yeah, they're eating. They're, they've probably been pre-turkeying and they're already like drooling somewhere. All right. We just get in chat. Anything? Uh, so anyway, well, hey, let's go over one more thing on the Roth, just because it's fun. You do meet the five-year test. It's your first contribution. So let's say that I'm putting in, what, 6000 a year. Mm -hmm. Then as long as that Roth has been around from the earliest contribution, I think you get five years for that entire period, right? Yes. You're, the clock starts running for your very first yep. contribution. First contribution. So and then, if, And if they go out and open up a second Roth IRA, it's still the original clock. And all we care about is that they know that you were putting money into a Roth for at least five years. So it's seasoned. And then you're 59 and a half. You can take the money out tax-free, but you're not required to take the money out. So if you want to let it cook a little longer, it's kind of like a crock pot. You just want to let those, you want to let those investments continue to escalate. You're Peter Thiel, and not the guy with 5 billion mm -hmm. in his account. You could absolutely do that. And just for kicks, our YouTube channel, I did a tax-free crypto where we were showing you how to do the, uh, how to actually create crypto using a mining machine and, and not have to pay tax using a Roth account. You have to pay a little bit. You pay a corporate tax of 21% only on the amount mined. And then all the appreciation is never taxed. And so if you're one of those crypto folks and you like to do the mining, check out our YouTube channel. All right. I like this one. Anytime somebody gets free money, right? Ah, I received unexpectedly large proceeds from the sale of shares dividends early this year. It actually makes a difference which one it is. But let's just say that, hey, we got extra money. Some of it we've already invested. Looking to reduce tax liabilities uh, for this and thinking of investing into a syndication deal before year end. What kind of depreciation can we expect? Any other real estate strategies that you might suggest instead as far as tax reduction go? We already purchased one short-term rental property in 2021. What do you think? I can't really answer the depreciation question for the syndication primarily because we need to know what this syndication has planned. Are they going to do a cost segregation? And, and to kind of clarify, if, if you invest into any type of housing near the end of the year, you're going to get very little depreciation unless you're doing that cost segregation. Yeah. Even then, like syndication, $50,000, you know, A, you're not going to be at risk. So if it does generate a bunch of loss, it's not going to get to be yours, right? Right. And that's a good point because that $50,000 is your investment. And that's not deductibles. It's like buying Microsoft shares. What about conservation easement? You could potentially do it. Uh, it's still on the chopping block with ways and means for two and a half times. So the syndications that I've seen are usually four and a half, five times, meaning that you put a dollar, you'll get a $4 deduction or $5 deduction. And the Congress is talking about limiting that to two and a half, which isn't horrible. Like 
you, you save as much as you put in, but where you really get the juice is when you get up to four and five times, but, mm-hmm. but there's abusers out there that are, of course doing 10 times, 15 times, which is stupid, but they're doing it anyway. And they're giving the whole industry a bad name, but you could do that. Yeah. But here's the one, the thing, the short-term rental, that's the secret sauce for getting deductions before the end of the year. And what a short-term rental is, is uh, anything that's, that's leased on a like non-specific longer basis. So a typical lease is generally going to be month to month. Short-term rental just means less than that. And specifically, if you have average guest stays, so each individual booking and the number of stays, we divide each individual booking, you add those up. So let's say you have 10 individual Mm -hmm. bookings, then you divide that into the number of days total rent. So if you had uh, Airbnbs of 50 days and 10 individual people, your average days would be five. Well, the IRS says that's not rental income. That is an ordinary business. And then the only question is, if you if you can create loss by doing what Jeff just said, by doing a cost seg and accelerated depreciation, that would offset all of your other income. So when I look at this question, immediately I think dividends, are they qualified? Because that's taxed as long-term gains. The sale of the shares, is that qualified? Like, is that long-term holds? Mm-hmm. So we would be looking at 20, you know, 23.8% high, highest tax bracket, you know, 20% capital gains and 3.8% net investment income tax. Now we say, all right, let's take a look at our whole income. So that total amount there could be 23,800 without looking at state. Now I'm looking at what could I get as a deduction that would offset that tax? And it's not going to be 100,000 because if I can get an ordinary gain, and I could offset, let's just say, ninety thousand at thirty-seven percent. What would that be? That's that's. <laughs> I'm gonna have to do math in my head. We're getting pretty darn close, though. We're getting around thirty-two thousand of tax savings. That's actually more right, right there. Yeah. So you just you just got way more of a deduction than what that hundred thousand is causing you. Now, the way you do it again, short-term rental, you have to materially participate in your short-term rental to get to take that as an active loss. And so a lot of people that put properties into service, like we just did a, a class on this and with our tax clients, I'm like, I had five people during that class that, had, that were closing on properties during this month. And I said, all of you guys should make those short-term rentals and just put it into service before the end of the year, accelerate the depreciation, which will get you about 20 to 30% of the property, uh, the improvement value as a deduction, but probably the property value, probably closer to 20% of the total value. So if you, if I bought a piece of real estate for 500,000, I'd probably get about a $100,000 deduction and it becomes ordinary active loss if you do this, mm-hmm. which means I could take this big $100,000 loss and offset my W-2 income with it if I want to. So, uh, but, it, but you do have to materially participate. Is there any issue with that? this close to the end of the year? Not as long as you're the only one handling the management. So you have to manage it yourself. Do not hire another manager until 2022. Because it's kind of like this. You always hear at the end of the year, buy a car, right? Accountants are known for this. They always say, like, oh, buy a big car. And it's like, I always say, time out. If you're going to use it in your business, yes, right? If it's 100% business use, okay. If you're just buying a car and it, you're not, you're just using it for personal, you're not going to get a business deduction. But they always say, buy it, we'll take a big write-off in your business. I'm like, oh, okay. 
That's because the type of depreciation when you're doing that, you're 179, you're getting a bonus depreciation. Right. It's under another section. It's 168 or 179. But we get to write off personal property. As long as it's put in service, we get 100% of the deduction. Whereas with real estate, they typically make you spread it out and they use this half month convention. So you get, like if we bought it and we put it into service before the end of the year, we'd get like a half month, right? We'd, get right. A, we'd literally get a half month of depreciation, not even a year, not even a month. We get a half month. It's like, yay. But if you accelerate it, you get to take all of the acceleration on the five, seven, and 15-year properties, so like the carpet, the fixtures, cabinets in the house, specialized electric, you, you know, the shrubs, the sidewalk, all that stuff, we're writing off, boom, this year, even if we only put it into service for two weeks, doesn't matter. And you do need a cost segregation to do that. Yep. But it does not have to be done by the end of the year. You could actually do the cost seg by when? Up to the time you file your tax return. Yep. So it could be what, October of next year? Uh, one other thing I want to talk about with a short-term rental being so close to the end of the year, to have it actually be a short-term rental, I would think you would actually have had to rent it that property out to get it classified that way. You'd have to rent it out. You have to put it in service and make it available. Right, because we talk about like the long-term rentals as long as you're at least attempting to rent it out. Yeah, I haven't seen a case. I've seen the case on long-term rentals where somebody bought a house, made it available, mm -hmm. couldn't get a renter. You know, they were, they were trying to lease it during the, when we had the uh, depression. And the, what is it? The Great Recession. I the call Great it. Recession. It was a depression. Come on, let's call it what it is. And so they were trying to lease out a house and they couldn't. And they never rented it. They literally sat on it for like a year. They couldn't find a tenant. So they sold it off and they were like, they wanted the depreciation. And the IRS was contesting and they were given it by the tax court saying, yeah, you made it available. You were fair market. Mm -hmm. You're not required to like go under, like, you know, beat yourself up. Although I would have told them cut the rent, you know, and just get yep. somebody in there. But so, I mean, I guess you could say as long as you have it available, even if somebody doesn't use it, you have an argument, at least I, I, don't, I wouldn't feel, I'd feel 50, 50 on the argument. They want me to mention, oh yeah, we have a, how to build a seven figure investment account with uh, Eric Dodds, who is one of our trainers in the 360 realm of Infinity Investing. Uh, Infinity Investing. Uh, we've done just fantastic work over the last four years with Infinity Investing. So if you want to join us, it's a lot of fun. We go over a whole bunch of tax or uh, trading strategies, and that'll be on 12.4. Patty, if you want to, yeah, she already shot that up. And it's free. You guys can absolutely come out for free and join Eric Dodds and myself for a, a day of... Uh, of, of fun dealing with trading. He's really good. And he, he, we have a ton of clients that are in his class or he has three days a week where he teaches in a room where people come in and trade with him in our 360 membership. And it's a ton of fun. They do great. We've gotten some great testimonials. People just rocking it. What is the cost? It is free. So yeah. So you, you, the, the day is absolutely free. If you want to join 360, there's a nominal cost. Uh, you can always join our Infinity Investing Basic for absolute no cost. In there, we have three trading rooms on the basic uh, strategies, which is our stock market landlord strategy. And that is also free. Somebody says free is good. It depends on what it is. Like I get a rash and it's free. That's not so good. That's why I keep my distance from Jeff here. Good call. Mm. He's like, you're like way over across the room today. All right. Wholesaling. Should it be in an LLC by itself? One LLC per deal or just use the same one? What do you think? I like putting this in the corp, but one thing I thought about with this, if I'm wholesaling, doing a lot of it, 
if my state allows a series LLC, I think that's would work well for this. What do you think? I think it really depends on my, my first thought is it's an active business and I'm not too worried about shutting it down periodically unless I have a lot of transactions. Then I might. If you do have a state that has a series LLC, it's easy to create the series. You don't have a lot of cost with it. It's it's really hard to bank those. Oh, so, okay. so like series are really tough to open up bank accounts in. So it kind of lends itself to real estate more where you have a, you know, you have a property manager or something and you have a one entity or one individual owning all those and, and having it one account. Have you heard of much litigation with the wholesaling? You know what? I have. It's rare, but we've seen a lot of it. And, and where it really came in is when wholesalers make a lot of money. And like when the economy was getting, uh, was contracting in seven, eight, and nine, then when it was started to recover and you were within a statute limitations period, mm-hmm. you'd see people rearing their ugly head, being mad that you made money why they were bailing out of their property. Clint had a really good one, which is, you know, there was no basis for the lawsuit. They were threatening. And uh, the other lawyer just out and out said, but your, your client has quite a bit of money. And he was like, what does that have to do with anything? And he was like, well, you know, sometimes they try we to- would like some of it. Yeah, they just get mad. So a lot of times the wholesalers are coming in helping somebody fix, you know, keep their credit from tanking. They're putting somebody in a, in a position, and then they realize, wait, that's usually a greed thing. Somebody ends up winning. You've done everything you told them that you would do, and they just have, they just can't stand that somebody made money out of their situation. And you're not, you know, that you're looking at it saying, you have been immensely benefited by not having your credit completely destroyed, but they don't see it that way. Right. So I've seen it a couple of times, but I've never been involved in a suit from a wholesaler, and I buy from wholesalers all the time. So I would say one entity, as uh, Jeff said, taxes and S corp or C corp, you're probably better off. And I'm not too worried. If you want to go LLC mad, you certainly can manage on how many transactions you have. All right. This is, I'm thinking about delivery pa- delivering packages for a delivery service to supplement my income. So it sounds like they're going to make them use their own car. So they said, should I buy or lease a vehicle for business use? My current car is paid off and should my earnings fall under protection of an LLC or EIN or and EIN? First thing about the car, I would not lease a vehicle for something like this. You're going to quickly go, you're going to quickly go over the uh, mileage limitations. What I do see when people do this is they don't use their primary vehicle. They purchase something for cash, even if it's a beater or something. If you're just making deliveries and when they wear the car out, they replace it. I could see doing that inside an LLC, and you definitely want an LLC because there's a lot of potential liability from vehicular activities. All you need to do is cause a wreck, and they find that you're in business, and they're going to go with you with a vengeance, go at you with a vengeance. Yeah, I would set up an LLC. I'd make it an active entity, probably an S-corp or a C-corp. I'm, you know, you, LLCs, sometimes we forget that new people are on. LLCs only exist to the state. For the federal government, we have to tell it what it is from a tax standpoint. So you can have an LLC and say it's an S corp for tax purposes, but it's an LLC. Yeah, so, so you're not you're not you're not setting up the LLC to protect your delivery earnings. You're protecting setting mm-hmm. up the LLC to protect everything else you have. Correct. And you're trying to isolate it. So if you have a bad yeah. accident, that yeah, you're you're out delivering packages for Amazon, driving 
or UPS or one of these others, and you're driving really like you have a delivery schedule, you got so many you have to deliver and you're whipping around the, the city and you inadvertently look away and cause an accident, you know, the more hey, time you're on the road. I, I used to do delivery and I know how we drive. Uh, He's bad. He always drove with his eyes closed and you're not supposed to do yoga while you're driving. Just saying. Uh, All right. So Actually, I, I know somebody who does this, Terry. I won't say his last name, but he's a friend. And I'm, he, he does this every year. He loves doing it. He, rolling around in his Cadillac, actually, is a big. But so uh, usually the delivery service is giving you a, a reimbursement on the mileage. So either they're paying you for the miles and they're having you track your miles and they're just reimbursing you, in which case that's not taxable income to you. Or they're including it in whatever they're paying you if they're doing a flat rate and they're 1099-ing, in which case you should be reimbursing you for mileage, what is it, 57 and a half right now or something like that? 56 and a half. I can't remember what it is for 2021. Yeah, that. it fluctuates around. Hopefully it goes up even higher because energy costs are going up. Gas is just crazy right now. Uh, one thing I would suggest you watch is uh, some of these companies, I work for one, charge you for everything. They charge you for vehicle, radio, uniforms, and you quickly realize that you're not getting paid anything. <laughs> so... Yeah, just be cautious, be diligent. Terry does Terry does good every year. I know I know again, I think he's UPS. He's picking up and doing specialized mm-hmm. delivery, but every one of them is a little different. But here's the the rub. A lot of people say, well, I'll just write off my car then. Don't do that because this is temporary. And unless you're gonna do it year round, and this is the vehicle that you use to do your deliveries where it's more than fifty percent business use, don't even think about doing depreciation and actual expense method. I would go straight and just do reimbursement and get the mileage reimbursement and not mess around with that. If this is something you're going to do over a long period of time, then we might want to consider doing actual expense method and doing depreciation, but only if more than 50% of the use is business use. Yeah. If you're going to do this long-term and you buy an inexpensive vehicle, the mileage rate may do better than the actual expenses. Yeah, you buy a little $5,000 car that that has a decent motor that's not going to break down an old Toyota or something. Yeah, you could, you could in theory, let's say you put 20,000 miles on it over a short period of time, like you're driving every day, you're putting in 400 miles a day. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine that's a lot of miles, but you're just putting on the miles, you're getting 57, whatever it is, cents a mile, high 50s. You could receive more than what you paid for the vehicle yeah. and it's not tied to the, the, the value of the vehicle. Versus if you did the actual expense method, you're depreciating the car, which has limitations, depending on the weight of the car and which section you fall under. It could be $18,000 limit for the year, $18,100 for a car. And then you're, you're, you're writing off the actual cost of the gas and maybe an oil change. Like it, it, realistically, you're, just, you're kind of crazy not to do the reimbursement, yeah. in my mind, unless this is something you're going to do and you're only using this vehicle for business use, in which case... Then we might look over. Yeah. Doesn't have to be pretty, just reliable. Yep. Absolutely. And for delivery, you're probably better off. If I have purchased a course or educational support, not in my LLC's name, can I still deduct it for my business? Sir? Yes, you can if it is directly related to your business. You can certainly do that. And if you've been in business for a while, even say a year, it, it, it makes it even easier to do. It's when we, you're not going to be able to deduct college classes of things like that. But if you take a seminar or something that has to do, mm-hmm. uh, my father-in-law is a pipe fitter. He takes a uh, continuing education, yeah, continuing education for sensors and stuff like that. If, if it's something that improves your skill or is necessary for your license, then you can write it off. But I don't think that's what they're asking. 
Why do you think you're asking? That they did it in their personal name. So let's say you're CPA and you go out and you buy a CPA course mm-hmm. for continuing education in Jeff Webb. Mm-hmm. How do I write it off? Well, you personally can't because you're an employee of your organization. Right. The organization needs to reimburse you and you write it off for the LLCs or the company. Correct. Unless you are your company. If you're sole proprietor, then it doesn't matter. So if you're an LLC that's disregarded and it's and it's an active business, then technically you wouldn't have to do the reimbursement because you're not an employee. Yeah. Or if you're in a partnership and you and another partner are both actively participating, then you wouldn't have to do it. Where you have to do the reimbursement is if it's a S corp or C corp or an LLC tax is an S corp or C corp. And then all that other stuff I said before. And then all the other stuff that Jeff said before. What is that? When can't remember the educational statute. Is it one ninety five? All the one for necessary. Well, ordinary and necessary is 162. Is there a code provision? I think it's one, is it 132 or 137? I cannot remember. For for working fringe benefits. Yeah. Basically saying that I have to do this in order to keep working here. Yep. So anyway, we'll look at it. For that one, yes, you can write it off. But you need to reimburse yourself if it's an S or a C Corp. Otherwise, you can just write it off as a sole proprietor. Mm-hmm. You pay higher tax though, and your audit rate's about 500% higher than the escort and you lose all your audits. But other than that, keep, keep being a sole proprietor. They, you know, they got rid of uh, the, the table. I am. I mean, oh, all right. the audit table. They got rid of the audit table. So we used, we used to be able to look at 17 B was with the data book every year. And the IRS would give us the data book and they would say who they're auditing. And you could actually see, depending on the schedule on the 1040, whether you got audited. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they discontinued it. Cool. Little turds. I, I I have heard they're hiring more auditors. I prefer they hire somebody just to answer the phones. Yeah, <laughs> an auditor. Where where are they finding the people? That's what I want to know. We live in a city right now. I live in we live in Vegas. Half the restaurants are they're closing up half of them, or they're not opening on certain days because they can't find people. And so the IRS is apparently going to find a whole bunch of people. I figure that they should look in Del Rio. All right, how to best purchase a. <laughs> Not allowed to talk anymore. I'm going to get banned. All right. How to purchase a vacation rental property from a parent and avoid paying high capital gains taxes as the property is appreciated significantly when the parent purchased it. I read this and the first thing I thought is, wow, what a balancing act. Yeah. Because a lot of this is going to depend on the parents, what the parents want. It kind of sounds to me like they're wanting to cash out of this business. Well, it's a vacation rental property. Yeah. And I'm wondering whether that means it's a rental property that they use for vacations, like a condo and on the beach. Do you think that's what I wasn't sure if it was that or if they just meant it's a short term rental? I think it's probably the the, the, the other one because it's, it, it's highly appreciated uh, from when they purchased it. So you have a property that they've held for a while and it could be Airbnb or something like that. But you're saying, hey, I want to buy it. I balance the just wait for your parents to pass away. I did think about that. Yeah, that's the first thing. He's like, let them die. <laughs> I hate to say it because then you get a step up in basis. Yeah, especially since they're saying it's significantly appreciated. Yeah. Uh, but it may be a case that they... They, they should uh, refi it. If they want the cash. That's true. Refi it. You take over the house. Like this is This is where it gets sticky. If you let somebody rent your property from you at less than fair market value if they're relative, then it's it's considered personal use yep. days and you can't depreciate or anything like that. So what you really want to do is rent it at fair market value from the parents 
let the parents refi it, get their cash. You pay enough rent, make sure you, you figure out what the fair market rent is. And then uh, now it's yours. And, so let's, let's, and when you pass, when they pass away, no taxes due. There's theory they, you know, they, they've taken cash. Yep. The property is appreciated longer. You still have control of it and all that good stuff. Maybe even put an option to buy as part of the, the lease. But that way uh, you don't lose that step up in basis. So, so let's say um, it's not about cash. It's not about, they just don't want to deal with it anymore. Could they assign him to actually do it and take the income? Could they kind of move uh, you with, could do, without giving up the property? Yeah, you could rent it to them. Otherwise, if you're letting them use it, it's considered personal property. And again, there's no depreciation we have to worry about. You could sit there and say, hey, Jeff's letting me use it. And it's no different thing. It's just a zero transaction. And then he could turn around and run a short term if he wanted to. Yeah. I, I would do a fair market rental and say, hey, I'll, I'll, I will just take it over from you. Parents take out the money, pull it out via a HELOC or something. Otherwise, there's one other way you could do it without completely messing things up. Like you're going to lose the step up if they sell it. So the other way you do it is you do an installment note and you buy it from them over a long period of time. Mm-hmm. And it, I'm just going to sound horrible, but it depends on your life expectancy of your parents as to whether the IRS would buy it. If they're 95, they're not going to buy it. If they're 75, the IRS would buy it. One thing I would not suggest doing, it, it doesn't even come up in the question, but you don't want to put this in like an irrevocable trust. That's probably the worst of all worlds in this case with a significantly appreciated property. Well, I mean, if you don't want to pay tax at all and the parents want to sell it, that or they wouldn't get the money out of it. What you could do, let me think about this for a second. You could possibly do a, a charitable remainder trust where you're going to give the remainder interest to charity. The parents would get a deduction. You could sell it. They could get an income stream out of it if they wanted to for the mm-hmm. rest of their lives. And then you could uh, lease it from the CRT, but that's, again, probably too many moving pieces. Yeah, but this sounds more like they want to do some kind of legacy to pass on. Well, they want to keep the rental property, that's for sure. So you're saying, hey, how do I do it without paying capital gains? There is one other thing I didn't even mention when we're talking about capital gains is you could always do qualified opportunity zones. I tend to think that they're iffy, iffy. Is this the last year for it? Yeah, I hope so. I think so. No, no, wait. It... uh, no, it's still around. It's still around. Okay. I think it's 2026 that it's gone completely. Oh, okay. 2025. I was thinking, just thinking that it was less effective. As I don't like life. it. I don't like it. I, I tend to, like everything I've seen is like, it, it's the much ado about nothing. Have you all noticed that we really don't discuss these questions before we get together? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's kind of fun. No, it is fun. Uh, I think it's a better format than uh, coming in with a... Here's the answer. Yeah. I, I'd rather be able to spitball it too. So I'll, I'll give you guys a real life example of what could happen and why you don't do this. Uh, let's say the parent also just gifts it. So it's, it's, let's say that Jeff is my dad and he has this highly appreciated property. He doesn't want to pay capital gains. And so I say, but Jeff, I really want to keep it. Or, hey, dad, I want to keep it. And Jeff gifts it to me. Not only do I not get a step up in basis, my basis is his basis, which is like, if there's already appreciated significantly appreciated property and it keeps appreciating. If I ever sell that thing, I'm paying a ton in tax unless I make it into an investment property in 1031. Mm -hmm. But if I'm, this is my vacation, this is a second home. I don't get a 121 exclusion. I don't get a 1031 exclusion when I sell. 
and I lost my step up. So again, best, best bet is parents keep it. If they need the money, then, you know, refi it and keep it in the family. And if you really, really, really want it, then you could rent it from your family enough that it will cover the cost of them cashing it out. If I use self-directed IRA money to remodel a property, is that deductible? Wow. What a, an interesting question. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming that this property is not owned by the IRA. If the IRA owns it, there would be nothing to deduct. Yeah, the IRA just pays for repairs and, and improvements. So if it's a self-directed IRA, which is what it says, and you have a property <clears throat> and you remodel it, there's no tax, there's no deduction, there's no nothing. Well, not exactly true. So if I want to use money for my self-directed IRA to remodel one of my homes, I'm going to have to take a distribution out of that IRA, which is taxable income to me. I'm talking if the IRA owns it. Oh, no, no, there's nothing. I agree. Right, right. So if the IRA self-directed I, owns a property and, and you remodel it, mm-hmm. no, there, there's nothing to worry about deduction-wise because there's, there's no income, it's exempt. Right. But let's go to what Jeff said the property is outside of the IRA and you use the IRA model, now is it deductible? So you're going to take the distribution, you're going to pay tax on that distribution. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you're under 59 and a half, you're going to pay penalties on it too. Mm -hmm. So that's not the best source of income. And the other side of that is, are you doing repairs or are you doing remodeling? Mm -hmm. Uh, Remodeling typically means it's going to have to be depreciated over the life of those assets. And that could be 27 and a half years. So quick answer is yes, it's deductible, but maybe not in the fashion that you, you like. Yeah, you're going to be depreciating it over the useful life of the asset. If it's residential real estate, then it's 27 and a half years. If it's non-residential, it's 39 years. Like you're, you're spreading that period out. Unless you do a cost seg. If you do a cost segregation, then you're probably going to get a bunch of it now. There, is a, there are two ways. I'll just say there's two ways to get this money out tax-free if the, the property is outside of it. Number one you can do a 60-day rollover. So let's say I need money. You could roll it out to yourself. And as long as you put that money back in by day 60, you don't have to pay anything on it. You'd have to remodel pretty quickly. Yes, you could write off the remodel if you're flipping a house or doing like that or pull money back out, put it back into the IRA. You cannot borrow money from an IRA, but you can roll your IRA into a 401k and borrow up to half the money, up to $50,000 per participant. So if it's husband and wife, you guys get up to a hundred thousand bucks. If it's one person, you know, depending on how much the remodel is, let's just mm-hmm. say it's, if it's 25,000, you can get that money pretty easily out of a 401k. You cannot borrow out of an IRA. You can borrow out of a 401k. One other thing, if, if you're improving or remodeling personal property, personal real estate, that is not business real estate, it's not going to be deductible. Um, mm-hmm. It will add to the base, your basis in that property should you one day sell that property, but uh, otherwise that's not going to be deductible. Yeah. So what Jeff basically is saying is if it's your house and you remodel your house, you don't get a deduction. It's only if it's investment property. So I think, let me just summarize. If it's in the IRA, we're not really worried about anything. If the property is outside the IRA and we're using IRA money, then it's either going to be a distribution and taxable penalties if it's under 59 and a half, or you need to put it back in there within 60 days, or ignore the IRA by rolling it into a 401k and borrow the money out. Okay. There we go. See? Clear as I like that last solution. What? Pulling the, uh, rolling it? Rolling it to your 401k if you have one. Yeah. Well, we, And then borrowing one. against it. 
I mean, you need a side gig if you don't have a 401k. Look, you can put 100% of your side gig and come into a 401k. So I always see these people and they're making, well, you run across them all the time. Jeff, Jeff and his crew do about 10,000 returns a year. It's crazy. So you're sitting there and you're doing a return and we see them all the time, right? Mm-hmm. They have this business, that business, and I see $5,000, $6,000 being generated. And they're like, yeah, I just did it myself. 401k, put the whole thing in. Well, I already did my IRA. You can do the 401k and an IRA, and you can put 100% of your money in there. So it's like, let's let's jump that in there. So anyway, all right. How many pro- rental properties do I need to own to manage uh, to meet the criteria active participation and thus apply real estate losses to active W-2 income? One home. <sighs> What is is that active participation? That means you own at least 10% of the property and you, uh, what's the term, substantially participate in the management. Active participation. You don't have to substantially do nothing. As long as you pick the property manager, you meet the test. And if you actively participate, you could deduct up to $25,000 of losses. Yeah. So... The way this rule is, is 469, is it 469C7 that has the active participation? I know that has the real estate professional, but there's two ways you can make passive rental losses, ordinary non-passive losses. Two ways. Number one is active participation, but it phases out. So you have active participation up to $25,000 and it phases out between 100,000 and 150,000, right? Of AGI. Yep. And it's in it for every $2, you lose a dollar of the 25. So if you make $120,000 of adjusted gross income, you would lose 10,000 of the 25,000. So you get a $15,000. What's that? I said 10,000. 10, oh, is it? Did I say 20? No, you said 10. Oh, 10. Phew. Sometimes I get a little crazy. Right. So and then the other route is to be a real estate professional where you can just write off 100%. But that's a two prong test. Yes. The answer is still one house, though. So you can do it. You can do it. It's from uh, you know, a movie that's from. You can do it. I cannot read more than everybody. Anybody else. out there since we're on Turkey Day? It's uh, Waterboy. You can do it. Oh, okay, okay. It's Rob Snyder. Anyway, Waterboy. All right. That's one of the best. There's some people are hitting it. You can do it. Oh, yep. All night long. That's what they yell He's driving around on the little tractor. Uh. You guys that don't know Waterboy, I would strongly suggest that you learn it. And like foosball is the devil. That's all I remember. Uh, Poppy Boudot. Uh, Boat, is it Boudot? Yeah, I think something like that. Love Waterboy. See, we uh, got a Matthew out here too. Hey, do you agree? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you guys can't hear Matthew, but an astounding positive. So there we go. For your for your week, that is your free, that is your free advice. Go watch Waterboy. One of the one of and the. And you great. thought you would just get tax knowledge from us? Yeah, what could we? we I, don't, I couldn't apply anything to Waterboy for tax, but Bobby Boudet—that's what it is. Bobby Boudet, and he just Boucher. goes nuts. Boucher. Boucher. Bobby Boucher. Bobby Boucher. All right. I run a short-term rental in my home. How do I set up my short-term rental to take advantage of home expenses? That means Airbnb, VRBO, right? Mm-hmm. So they're doing. They have a they have a room that they're leasing out. What would you do? Yeah, I, I'll be honest. I am not a fan of uh, short-term rentals within the home. There's a lot of complications that come from it. If you're also living there, you could run into the 14-day rule. 
which means if you live in that more than 14 days and use the same space, then you can your your income deductions are limited to your income. Well, your deductions are limited to your income, but you could take the proportionate amount. So if it's 10 days or 14 days or more, or 10% of the um, rental days. So, you know, it depends on how accurate right. it is, but you're, you're going to be putting a portion of that property as your deductible amount. Correct. It, it's, it's hard to take losses unless it's almost constantly running out. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're not going to get, don't worry about that. You're still going to get advantage. You may not be able to write them off, but you'll carry them forward, right? Yeah, that's that's true. I mean, you're gonna be making money by running out, and you're gonna be offsetting the money you rent out. So if you have yeah. a, let's say you have a two story house, and I'm renting out one story, and I'm living in the bottom story, mm-hmm. you're gonna get a deduction for about half of the expenses yep. of that home. Let's go to go and to but if I'm getting, let's say it's a thousand dollars net a month after Airbnb and everything, I get to take those expenses and offset that thousand dollars that I'm netting a month. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to have much taxable income. Uh, how do I set it up? Realistically, when you're doing short-term rentals, it's an ordinary activity, but seven days or less. So a lot of that, <laughs> like we start looking at the tax standpoint, I'm probably just putting the whole house in an LLC to make sure that I don't cause liabilities for myself for the rest of my life. Like, again, I'm not going to be able to hide from liability on that property. So if I own a house and I'm renting out half of it to other people, short-term rental wise, I have two things. Is it ordinary activity? Is it uh, because I could be subject to self-employment tax? Is it still a, a passive activity as an investment? But I'm worried about somebody coming onto that property, falling down the stairs and suing me and garnishing me for the rest of my life. I'll put an LLC around it just to make sure that, here, I'll do it like this. I'll put an LLC around it so that if anything happens inside that property, it goes, that it's isolated inside that box. Now, to be clear, that LLC, as long as it's disregarded back to you, mm-hmm. is not going to have any effect on your any of your 121 exclusion or anything like that. No, 121 it deals, that's the capital gain exclusion, and they deal with it in the regs. And they say an LLC, as long as it's disregarded, will not cause an issue for it. It's treated as the owner plus grantor trust. Okay. Treated as the owner. So you don't have to worry about your living trust, land trust, LLC for your capital gain exclusion. Your homestead, you may want to look at, make sure I don't unhomestead myself. But I feel that's more of a state by state issue. But I'm still, but that's just the ability to take that. And you're, you're making your homestead into an investment property. So I'd still put the LLC. You're going to get the home expense because it's a business activity period. Yep. It's just what portion of all the expenses of the home that you're going to get. All right. My LLC has Mar- Jeff's favorite thing ever, mark-to-market trader tax status. And we're going to get to why that's my favorite here in a second. Yes. And I will have a, whenever I see mark-to-market, after I vomit, then I go to Jeff. Right. <laughs> we want to take an IRA or 401k distribution to pay off our house and take advantage of the LLC loss to offset the distribution tax. Any advice or pitfalls to this? As much as I dislike mark the market, I think what you're suggesting is a great idea. As a matter of fact, I might even do, if I have substantially appreciated uh, IRAs and all, I might even throw in a Roth conversion or something like that. Yeah. So what, what Jeff's saying is, see this mark to market with trader tax status, I probably explain that stuff. it allows you to take losses that are, would normally be capital losses and they become ordinary business loss. Yeah. 
Trader status does not exist in the Internal Revenue Code. It's been a moving target for 24 years that I've been following it. It was moving target before that. It's substantial, regular, and continuous activity in the stock market, taking advantage of short-term trends. And what I know is you got to trade on 75% of the trading days, and you got to have 750 trades a year at minimum, or you're not even going to get considered. I've seen people lose trader status when they had $15 million a year in trades, where they had sizable accounts. I've seen people who made money in the market lose trader tax status simply because they would only trade you know, six months out of the year and they would go on vacation the other six months. So it's like, I, I hate trader status, but if you're going to do it, that mark to market allows you to unlock the losses and become ordinary loss, which is good for you for this year. Like, hey, I have substantial loss. Okay, normally you would just carry it forward. You'd get 3,000 against your ordinary income and you carry forward the rest of the loss until you make it back. But in this particular case, what you are when you say mark to market with trader status is really what you're saying is I am a business and I have business loss. It's ordinary active business loss. What should I do about my IRA and 401k distribution? And, and you can easily rely on the court cases. No, you can't. No, it's a it's an <laughs> there absolute are, minefield. There are lots of court cases out there and none of them say the same thing. What they do is you gave you gave them three ways to hose you. And the judges are really good about saying, oh, I could, you know, I guess a business would really be doing this. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, I know a lot of businesses that are in business for like three months out of the year. Like we just got through Halloween. You got a bunch of the Halloween mazes Mm -hmm. and the Halloween haunted houses and the Halloween pop-ups and they're selling things. You tell me that's not a normal business, but if you're a trader and you do that and you only trade three months out of the year that, that you're really comfortable in, they say you're not a business. So I just say, let's get around that. We'd use a multi-entity structure to avoid that. And we've been very, very successful at it for 20-something years. And guess how many audits? None. (laughs) Guess how many audits for trader status? Just about every one of you guys gets to deal with it because they just automatically say, win for IRS. We can push it. All right. So anyway, so the IRA or 401k distribution, here's the only thing. Mm-hmm. Penalties. Are you worried about penalties? Uh, if I'm under 59 and a half, yes. Okay. So if you're under 59 and a half, we've got to worry about that extra 10%. You could offset the tax hit with that ordinary loss from your, te- from your uh, trading. But what Jeff said, which is actually genius, in my opinion, is to avoid the penalty by just converting it into a Roth. Say I have a traditional IRA or I have a 401k and I know you want to pay off your house. I, I get it. I wouldn't. <laughs> And the reason I wouldn't is because you're going to save so much flipping money, depending on how much the loss is. But let's, let's say it's 200000 I'm going to save $20,000 by just converting it because I'm not going to have the penalty. And generally speaking, home, uh, the uh, home loans are, what, 3%. It would take a long time to catch up on that. Like if it's 200000 3%, about 3000 6000 a year, it would take you about three or four years of interest. Yeah. So and, I would, I would, and, I would convert it. And the mortgage interest is still deductible if you can itemize. Mm-hmm. And if I can wait five years and I can hit, what is it? 50, 59 and a half, mm-hmm. five years and 59. And then I could take the Roth money out anyway. Yeah. And I don't have to worry about tax. So, you know, so my five-year plan would be, I'd be looking, I'd mapping, be mapping this thing out saying it, you're going to be better off more than likely, not just paying off your home, but keeping the home debt and putting it into a Roth and then getting access to the Roth later. No, yeah, I would. If I'm able to do that, I would rather do the Roth conversion than mm-hmm. pay off the home. Yeah. 
Or here's one other thing you could do. It depends on whether you're single or married and how much the loss is. If it really comes down to it, I wouldn't take a distribution out of the 401k. I may borrow out of the 401k. And depending on the debt, if you're a single person, you could take 50,000 to half the money. Married couple, you could take up to 100,000, up to half the money. Or you do a combination of the two mm-hmm. if you want to pay off your house and still use that loss. I mean, again, we'd get our pencils out and we would say, here's what's in your best interest by mapping it out. Usually it becomes pretty obvious what's in your best interest. Yeah, because you would, in your scenario, you could use your mortgage payments to repay that loan from the 401k. Mm-hmm. And while you may be paying interest, you're paying interest to yourself. Yep. And you're paying your own self back with mm-hmm. your mortgage payments. So yep. I and like we, that idea too. And we like it. Yep. Yeah, you know what's fun is end of the year stuff, we always deal with this. You can always borrow money out of something and then pay off a whole bunch of expenses ahead of time. Mm-hmm. And I'm always like, your 401k is the vehicle. If you're a solo 401k, you're nuts not to. Right. Is hey, I have expenses that are going to be incurred in the next 12 months. If I want to knock down my 2021 taxes, let's say I'm in the 30, you know, I'm 32, I'm getting up there, 35% tax bracket plus my state, knock that off. Let's prepay some things for the year. I and mean, if we have to borrow it from our own 401k, so be it. Use it to pay off some of those expenses or prepay a bunch of your mortgage interest, whatever you have to do so that, again, you could just, sometimes we're looking at these things going, you're, you're right at the standard deduction, push it over the edge, prepay your, your uh, charitable contributions, prepay some of your you know, so other expenses, prepay your mortgage, whatever you have to. Actually, the mortgage might be an issue because they would say it has to be incurred in the year, but prepay some of your expenses in a business. But anyway, we could do that. Let's see. We still have about, they've answered almost a hundred questions. So this, this was the day to join, but now we have lots and lots of people on again. In the beginning, we had about half this many, but if you have a tax question by me, all means go into that question and answer and post it. They will continue to answer your questions. Like I can see one here. Are the $6,000 back to our Roth IRAs gone for next year? Not yet. Not yet. It's on the chopping block, but We'll see. There's a lot of a, there's a lot of misinformation because the Ways and Means had a number of proposals come out and they were all different. Some of them had the elimination of the step up in basis. Some had the wealth tax on billionaires. Some of them had the, you know, you get rid of the ability to have mega Roths and then they try to get rid of the backdoor Roth, which if you're not familiar, there's supposedly a limit on how much you can contribute to a Roth based off your income level, like married filing jointly, mm-hmm. what is it? 140 or something like that. But you could put it in a traditional, not take a deduction, and then roll the traditional into the Roth. You never took a deduction, so there's no tax. So that is a backdoor. And you could still do the mega backdoor too if you have a 401k. All those are still on the table right now. You could still do them. So Yeah, even though the Build Back Better bill has been passed by the House and has gone to the Senate, we can't rely on it. The Senate could totally... Oh, they're going to gut it. Got it. There's yeah. no way. And the SALT deduction is really ticking off all the people because you're like, literally, you're giving a deduction to the top, you know, the top percents. Not that, like, I, not I, that I like it. Like, I don't like SALT anyway, but. But I'm really confused by the SALT deduction and which party's supporting it and which party's against it. I know it's weird. It's weird. It seems like it's backwards, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the Dems are like, hey, we really want this. And it's like, it's only benefiting the top 4%. Like 96% of taxpayers don't even care. Hey, guys, uh, it, it, speaking of Congress and speaking of changing tax laws, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Um, 
as soon as something comes out, we're posting on it. We'll probably do a webinar too. But if you want to go to that ABA link forward slash YouTube, sign up, just go ahead and subscribe, go there, click on it, subscribe, just follow us. You'll get notified. I think that's how you do it. Subscribe and then click that little bell and it'll send you stuff out. So we'll be, we'll be Johnny on the spot for it. Plus we'll talk about it here. By all means, you can just come in here and ask us tax questions. And as you can see, we charge an awful lot for the tax advice we give, <laughs> i.e. it's free. And then people will say, is it really free? It's like, yeah, we just like to give out information and share information. And usually there's some really cool questions and we take your questions and we, we pattern our practice and we teach on those questions. So we take the same information, things you're giving us, great feedback for us. We like to share it. And there's Sherry. Hey, Sherry, you are the best, Sherry. Not me, I'm the best. You're the best. And to let you know how up-to-date uh, these videos are that we put out is I usually send something to you, Clint and mm-hmm. Michael, about, hey, did you see this? And I get back, we already got a video out on it. Uh, <laughs> Sherry. Sherry, how's Don? I hope he's doing well. And come on out to Vegas. Sherry and I, we, we always, uh, I, I usually, t- we always rent a bike and stuff. Oh, okay. Or we go out to dinner. So we have some, like, hey, you can be one of those clients too. Wouldn't you rather go see her? She's in Hawaii, right? Sherry's not in Hawaii right now. I was saying Sherry was in Hawaii. Sorry, Sherry. Sherry's in like Atlanta or something like that, right? Florida. Florida. I don't even know. But where? Patty is like, Toby, you're an idiot. Florida. We're in Florida now. I want to go Florida. I think I spent like three months. Yeah, Odessa, near right near Tampa. I got in-laws in Niceville. So. Tell them hi. I love Tampa. We were in Tampa for like a month. I should have rang you up, Sherry. I didn't realize. Gosh, why is my head so far up my katush? I love Clearwater. We just walk the beach every day. And I work from the... <laughs> I know you're a butthead. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, happy, happy Thanksgiving. Yep. And I am a butthead. We will answer your questions. It looks like there's still about 25 pending. So do not worry. Well, it says uh, going to Clearwater Beach on Friday for three. Uh, beautiful. If you guys have never been to Clearwater, by the way, I can't recommend it enough. It's great just to go. That's a great beach to go beach walk. And it's kind of flat as opposed to some of the beaches are like you're, you're sideways. You're like walking and you're mm-hmm. almost falling in. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Have a great Thanksgiving. Be thankful of all the good stuff that uh, we are really lucky in this country. As much as we beat on each other, we are really lucky in this country. Don't, you know, hopefully that you guys realize uh, I have a, spouse from Columbia and, you know, watching some of the things that happened there. And uh, there's somebody from St. Pete's Beach. You guys, you guys are in heaven. I always like, we love going there. We love going to Miami and St. Fort Lauderdale area. Anyway, we are really, really lucky. We're really thankful to be able to teach this. We're like going back to when Jeff started and they were still using abacuses when I started, when the internet was just coming out. Like we are, the the ability to uh, teach and give out information is just awesome. So we're so thankful that we get to share with you guys and we don't get to say it enough, but we are, I'm thankful for that, Jeff. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm thankful that we can eat a lot of turkey and go into a turkey coma. Anyway, see you guys next time. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Show notes for links to everything mentioned in this episode can be found on our website at andersonadvisors.com slash podcast. Be sure you subscribe to our podcast. And if you are already a subscriber, please provide us a review of what you thought of this episode.